Thank you very much for the privilege of bringing God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you kindly turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to 8. The brutality of the crime shocked us as a nation on December 16th, 2012. A gang of five young men lured and got a girl and her boyfriend into their bus late one night as they were traveling home after a special tutorial class. What they did to her after beating her boyfriend is beyond description, horrific and beyond description. Soon, they dumped both the boy and the girl in a poorly lit street in Delhi, and they fled. Her boyfriend desperately tried to call the police, and in the meantime tried to flag down passers-by, but they looked away and walked faster away from them. And when the police came, they argued about jurisdiction before they finally called the ambulance. For two weeks, she fought for her life. And when, he, when she died, the boyfriend opened our eyes with a single question. Why did it take so long to come help us? The United Nations lists India as one of the most dangerous places on earth for women. Infanticide, domestic violence, abuse by husbands and relatives are becoming all too familiar in our media. But there is another tragedy that hardly gets mentioned. That's because the world doesn't care. As Hindus, Muslims, Roman Catholics are dying without hearing the sweet news of the gospel. When Jesus gave signs of his return in Matthew 24 verse 14, he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In the original Greek, nations, oikimino, okimini, could be translated people groups. <clears throat> there are roughly about 16,601 people groups in the world, and after 2,000 years, 7,114 people groups still haven't heard the good news of the gospel. That represents about 2.1 billion people in our world. And a majority of them are in India. Do we hear their cry? battered 
and bruised by the world? Do we hear the cry of these people? I believe this morning God wants us to hear and wants us to be aware of their eternal destiny. If we as people who have the good news do not respond. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 1, reading verses 3 to 8. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at the same time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful and is able to give life. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would, through this ordinary man, bring the extraordinary truths of this word to our hearts and minds. And Father, this is such a familiar passage that we sometimes want to just pass on by rather quickly. And yet, its truths are instructive and so necessary even for us today. So help us pause and help us understand. And may your power convict and bring about changes in our life that will help us be instruments in God's mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. D. James Kennedy once said, If every Christian who has ever lived shared the gospel with even just one person, the world would be three times saved. Well, the numbers prove to us to us all, that we haven't done a very good job and we're found wanting in this area. This in spite of the fact that Jesus tells his disciples, and I believe we all are his disciples, that we are to take the gospel. We are called to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and indeed to the ends of the world. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
Jesus calls for radical action on all of us who claim to be his own. The command is simple, go. A little over 2,000 years later, 7,114 people groups still haven't heard the sweet news of that gospel. And so there is urgency in Christ's words to his disciples. And we who sit here today and worship must see the urgency of that message and respond. Jesus tells us how to respond. And this may seem foolish in the eyes of the world. And this may seem foolish to those outside the church. But his disciples, you and I, must recognize this is the master speaking. He knows what he's talking about. And he says, first, about God's power. He reveals God's power to us. So many people in so many places heard about the gospel within the first years of Christianity. Notice what Jesus says in verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift. The gift the Father promised. He's speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit that will come upon them in a few days at the day of Pentecost. The instruction is rather simple. Therefore, go. They had to go. But in order to go, they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. They don't go in their own strength. They don't go using their own talents, though that was required, but they're not to base or put their trust in it. They were not to put their trust in the money they had, but they were to be carried by the Holy Spirit that couldn't be stopped. That's the only reason, that's the only way that Thomas, who doubted the most, was able to travel the farthest, even to the southern part of India. Less than 20 days, less than 20 years after the day of Pentecost, without modern transportation or modern means of communication. Now Jesus' promise that he makes in verses 3 to 5 are rather simple. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. You know, we know the Bible speaks of John baptizing people with water. But what Jesus was promising was something far greater. He says, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Who are his disciples? You and I. Not just the 12 disciples. If you look at the people who gathered in the upper room, there were approximately about 120 who were waiting for the Holy Spirit to propel them as gospel rockets across Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
The mission to everyone belongs to the family of God. Every follower of Christ must begin, however, with waiting. Not in skills acquired, not in talents, not in gifts, not in financial resources, but the promise in verses 3 to 5. Wait for the gift that my father promised. An amazing thing happened at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit roared into the room as fire from heaven. At the river Jordan, John the Baptist promised that Jesus would baptize with fire. Now you, you think of fire. It's one of the most powerful forces on earth. It gives heat, it gives energy, and it purifies. The Holy Spirit's baptism on those people gathered, the disciples who had gathered in the upper room, and they were filled with the very presence and power of the risen Christ. Now they understood what was meant by Matthew 28, verse 20. And surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. We can't reach out to the world in our own ability. Our voices, our feet, need the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in 28, verse 18 of Matthew, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And when the power of Jesus comes upon us, nothing can stop us. He is with us. His power is with us. All authority of heaven goes with us too. Think about what happened on the day of Pentecost. There were Jews from all over the world. The Jews who had spread out, had come back for this feast. And to their amazement, they heard these illiterate Galileans speak in their own languages. The streets are crowded. And these unschooled Galileans, the disciples were praising God in a hundred different languages. Do you understand what they're saying? God can do anything to bring His lost sons and daughters home. He can fill His people and they will do the impossible things, things that we can't even imagine is possible in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and with our own financial resources. You can go to places that you wouldn't dream of going, the ends of the earth, because the power of God comes upon us. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians, 
That's his promise. That as we wait upon him, he will fill us with his power. Remember that. Remember that. That God will empower us. But it's not just his power. It's his plan as well. You know, our tendency, however, is to manage risk. Is to handle things as we know how. In other words, take a God-sized vision and bring it down to a man-sized program. After all, we're in the 21st century. We've got the skills to manage. We have become the gurus of management theory and practice. Right? Well, of course we say, after all, we're only exercising caution and being prudent. You see, that's the tendency of man. And that's the same in the upper room. What happened that day was God was opening their eyes to what could be. What his plan was. But the disciples wanted to reduce it to a man-sized vision. You know, it's clear in the scriptures that the vision of God has been for the world. You think of what he said to Abraham. He said, all nations of the world will be blessed through you. Jesus wants the ends of the earth to be reached from every, every language, every people group. But we're still preoccupied. We're still busy with ourselves. We're still busy. We're still occupied with feathering the nest and making life as good as it can get. Notice what the disciples say in verse 8. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? God has this God-sized vision and we bring it back to us. Uh, How is that? How am I going to take care of me, I, me, and myself? They only care about their own nation. And yes, missions is important in our neighborhood. And missions is important among our family. But what about the mission of God? What about the vision that God is revealing to us and and telling us about? Jerusalem is our community and we need to be making efforts there. And we need to go across the street to Judea. And we need to go to Samaria. The people who are different from us probably have nothing in common with us. And yet, we're called to go to them. And Then we need to go to the ends of the earth. God has blessed your church with the opportunity of being a transforming witness to God's glory in the downtown area and in the Greenville area. 
Will we be content with that? Right now, your denomination is asking 1% of your church membership to rise up and take the call and equip yourself to fulfill this God-sized vision. When the 120 returned to the upper room, they waited by praying for the Holy Spirit. But then Peter got an idea. You see, there was one missing. One of the disciples had fallen out. Oh, to fulfill God's mission, we need to bring that person back in. We need to bring somebody else. And what do they do? Well, apparently he quotes from another prophecy about Judas from the Psalms. May another take his place of leadership. So they began the process, nominating committee, elections and all of that. And finally they cast lots. Now, we need elections and we need to do things in an orderly manner. But when we get busy trying to fulfill our agendas, we bring about people like Matthias. Where do you see Matthias in all of Scripture doing anything? Or perhaps it was God's will that the Apostle Paul be the one to take that place? Could God's plan have been to replace Judas with this Pharisee? Who could have imagined this Pharisee who would soon organize the first Christian martyrdom, the fierce persecutor of the church, to become one of the greatest apostles. We can all come up with our plans. We're clever. We can, we can come up with grandiose plans that we think will make it. We can even throw up a prayer. We can even quote scripture. But the Holy Spirit's power is bigger than we can handle. And sometimes it's scary because with great opportunity comes great risk. God is not asking for us to play it safe. He's asking us, are you willing to give it all up? Paul had it all. He had the pedigree, he had the uh, resources, he had the education, but he gave it all up. Because the power of God that could do the impossible had him in his plan. So from chief persecutor of the church, he began to be the apostle of Christ. Could God's plan include you to up and leave 
this beautiful city of Greenville, to leave parents and loved ones and take those precious children you hold in your hand that you've brought in front of the church and baptized to a distant land where health care may not be as good, where your education will have to be done at home and not school? Are you ready to give it all up because you are part of God's plan for the nations? One percent is what your denomination asks of your church. That you would send so that the nations would hear. Leave family, the security of a comfortable quality life here to embark on God's plan. So there's God's power. There's God's plan. And then there is His timing. The command in verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift. Wait for the gift my father promised. It's pretty clear. You don't have to be a PhD. You don't have to know rocket science to, to, to understand that. But what do we do? We want to start our engines. We want to beat the gun. We want to sprint ahead. God's power and His plan doesn't work according to our schedule. It's on His timing. He never consults us. It's we have to be in line with His timing, His plan, and His power. He says to His disciples in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. You know, in our country, we play a game called cricket. And you may not understand it, but it, it's a little bit like baseball. And we have a, a catcher who stands behind the batsman. And it's a very important position. It's a position that one has to be alert all the time. Can't get your eyes off the ball. Because you have to protect the runs, but you can also make the batter out by catching it or stumping the wicket when he's outside the crease. It's a very important possession, position. You've got to be ready at all times. And that's the way it is with us in life. If we don't, if we are called to be ready, how many days did they have to stay at the upper room? Praying, meeting together, Could it be a week for you? Could it be a year for you? Could it be months? Jesus won't tell us that. It's His timetable. He simply says, wait. It will come. Wait. You know, day after day, the 120 wait. The day, is, the day of... Pentecost, you know, probably started like any other day with them waiting. And then in chapter 2 of Acts, verses 2 and 3, it says, Suddenly, 
a sound of blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the room. And what they saw was remarkable. What they saw seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Did you notice that word suddenly? There was no time to prepare. They had to be ready at all times. And it came. You now we call this book the Acts of the Apostles. But really, it should be the Acts of God and the response of the Apostles. The Apostles just, the disciples really just responded to what God was doing in their hearts and lives. When the Holy Spirit comes, you can't predict. We're used to being orderly, Presbyterian. Acts 2 verse 3 says it was a blowing, violent wind. It was unmistakable to everyone in the upper room. It filled the room. It didn't conform to any experience that they had had before. It was new. It was different. No one had had tongues of fire resting upon them. It's tough for us, isn't it? We want things in an orderly fashion. We want to know what the end result is going to be. We want to know precisely at what time we need to respond. But nothing of that. We want things decently done with great order, but if you look at the response of the people outside, they seem to think that these guys were drunk. These people were drunk. But God does something amazing in their lives. Are you willing to believe that we can do things beyond we imagine possible with our lives? Oh, you say, I'm just a doctor. I just know how to prescribe medicines. All I know is how to prepare briefs and go, uh, you know, file them in court. Or I can just handle telephones. I can do the math. I can do this. But Jesus says, wait. Wait. Pray and wait. What do we do when we sense and when we get a grasp of this God-sized vision that God is about, we wait. But we do what they did. Verse 14 captures what they did. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They didn't just wait passively. They didn't just talk about it to each other. But they prayed aggressively. They prayed continuously. They prayed expectantly. And for us today, here and now, 
as a local congregation. What that means is that we pray as a community, as a church community. We pray as committees. We pray as youth. We pray as children. That we teach our four-year-olds that they can be waiting expectantly by praying. We pray as seniors. We pray as youth. And what it means for us to wait and what it means for us to then respond to the power of God coming over us. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your missionaries. Pray for wisdom for the elders to send you out of here into the world. But what did Peter do? He called a meeting. And he came up with a man-sized vision. Chose Matthias. Unfortunately, that's the way we often respond. The implication is that there are they were praying and worshiping God when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were not thinking ways of how they were going to do this. They prayed and they waited on the Lord and let His plan in His power and His timing come upon them. A famous pianist in 1919 was also the prime minister of the country of Poland. And one night, he was to give a concert. And to that concert, a young mother took her little boy. She wanted her son to one day be that great pianist. And as they went and took their place right up in front she got busy talking to acquaintances. And soon the little boy was fascinated by this grand piano on stage. And so he wandered without his mom knowing and was poking around. And at exactly 8 o'clock, the lights dimmed in the auditorium and the stage was all lit up. And then, to her horror, she realized where her son was. And as he innocently picked out, twinkle, twinkle, little star, she gasped as the pianist made his way to the piano. And he quickly moved his left hand and started to fill in, reassuring the little boy. Don't quit. Keep playing, he whispered. And then he reached out his right and he filled in and encircled that little child. Together, the old master and the young novice held the crowd mesmerized. 
Maybe all you can do is say a few words. Maybe all you think you can do is just strum an old guitar. Maybe all that you think you can do is to ask people questions. But you need to remember that the simplest of things that you can do, God is the one who has already gifted you in those areas. And that He can take those simplest tunes, the simplest talents and gifts, and He can complete them in you so that you bring about something amazing that God can use to touch the hearts and lives of people. And while we do our little thing and we think, oh, it's only this, but it is indeed the roar of the Lion of Judah when it is blessed by the power of a living, true God. And that, my friends, will bring the gracious, the, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to touch the hearts of man and change them for His glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come with our doubts and our fears, our worries and our concerns, and even our greed and all the selfish desires within. And we put roadblocks in you using us for your glory. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you take people like the Apostle Paul and transform them with the gospel. And Father, here we are. We ask that you will take us, blow away all those things that we put, those conditions, those worries, those concerns, and use us, O oh Lord, so that the grand news of the gospel may fall in the ears of those who haven't heard so that they too may respond to the good news. In Jesus' name we pray.